Herodian dynasty. It's basically a line and a succession of leaders that they do nothing but come into control and they're threatened by that name that we call Jesus. He was responsible for killing James, the brother of John, with a sword. And once he got the public reaction, he proceeds to move forward and go a little bit deeper in going after the church. We have to be careful about those who do something for the approval of others. Amen. King Herod goes after the one and then all of a sudden he sees the public approval. They like that. So he's going to go after another one. He saw that by killing James, it increased his popularity, and so then he moved forward with going after Peter. This was King Herod Agrippa I. Now, I'm not going to give you a history lesson. I'm just going to tell you who it was. He would have been the great-grandson, or excuse me, the grandson of Herod the Great. And Herod the Great's who you find in the beginning of the New Testament, and he's coming and declaring that all babies under the age of two males be killed. That's Herod the Great. That's his grandfather. So we have something that is, he is stepping in line to a generational dynasty. This King Herod was following in the footsteps of the last King Herod. There's several King Herods mentioned throughout history, and each one of them have their own roles in destruction. And they can get confusing if you just walk around and say King Herod, because they're all different. This would be the, the... Dynasty, the family, the, the government, if you will, coming against the gospel. Persecuting the church. We see here that he martyred James, who was the disciple of Jesus, uh, son of Zebedee and brother of John, not to be confused with James, the brother of Jesus. That James would be the author of the book of James later. We've got a lot of James going on in the Bible too, amen? We see persecution that's going on during this time, and it is a continuation process. Your persecution that you feel like may have rose up against you in your life is not brand new. It is part of something that has been standing against the gospel from the beginning of time. If we look back to chapter 8 in the book of Acts, we see Stephen who was martyred for the gospel. You see, faith that we, the faith that we have is not just something that decided to come together last week or last month or, or something that we just come and sing a song on Sunday and get into this normal routine for. This faith, this gospel that we preach, this environment of worship that we cultivate when we come into the room has been existing from the beginning of time. And there's people that have died for this gospel. This is a bloody gospel. We've got to understand first. First and foremost, that we are stepping into something that means everything. So we've got persecution going on, and then we've got my friend Peter. I love Peter. He makes me feel real good about myself. Peter is going to be persecuted. We know that Peter's doing a work during this time. Has anybody ever tried to do a work for the Lord? Peter is doing a work during this time. You can read some of the stories of Peter. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. Fire fell down and people were saved and the Holy Spirit filled the room. That was my friend Peter. The same Peter that will cut your ear off if you come up and talk about Jesus. 
We see Peter going into all of the world and preaching the gospel and baptizing as we're supposed to do that the Great Commission tells us Peter is doing it. And when you're doing all the right things and doing all that you can do and you feel like something should be shifting by now, persecution comes in. What do you do? When all of a sudden, a bright and shiny day turns into a dark and gloomy day. I'm not here to preach depression. I'm going to get us out of this hole in just a minute. But I need to be real with you that not every day is bright and sunny at my house. I don't feel like preaching every single day. I don't feel like getting at the piano and leading worship every single day. Some days I have a headache. Some days I'm aggravated. Some days I don't want to talk on the phone. Amen? Preach to some real people this morning. But whenever darkness settles in, I come to let you know you just clocked into what's called the night shift. Acts 12 and 4. And when they had seized him, they put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. Notice it wasn't King Herod himself guarding him. It was the soldiers. Don't give the devil credit for what demons do. The devil didn't come and mess with your car. If you read the Bible, the devil very seldom appears. And he only really appears unto Jesus and has this interaction with the holy and most holy individual. You are not that special that the devil takes his time to come and mess with your car. King Herod did not guard Peter himself. He had his soldiers do it. Don't give the devil credit for something he sends his demons to do. We can clearly see that he's successful in going after Peter. He puts him in prison. Delivering him over to four squads of soldiers. This is significant for my message called the night shift. This would have been equal to 16 soldiers. And what they would have done would be rotate the shift. The use of four squads of soldiers was considered a common practice for the, for the Roman government to place guard and leadership and, and observation over prisons and such. And the reason why would be because the night shift allows you to have supervision of all hours of the day. And that amount, that four squads, that 16, that was enough to get you through. You could get you some shift work going and never let the soldiers be off and the prisoners be able to do what they want to do. So I want to talk this morning about the night shift. The very intention of shift work is to ensure that 24 hours of production is done all the time. Has anybody ever worked the night shift? Yeah. Yeah. We have shift work in things like factories and hospitals and prisons and things that require round-the-clock supervision. Shift work is designed so that someone is always present doing something so production does not stop. The night shift was designed so that while others are getting off, they're clocking in. Some people like the night shift better than the day shift. Because the big boss sitting there watching over you on the night shift. 
It's a little, all your patients in the hospital for the most part are sleeping. You know, the night shift can be calm and collected. Nonetheless, I come this morning to let you know that we have a God who works the night shift. When you feel like darkness is all around you, when you feel like you cannot see the light of day, when you feel like you're surrounded by the enemy and there's nowhere, you've got four squads of soldiers all around you, you have a God that works the night shift. And if we look back in our story, I don't know if you caught it the first time, we can see that all of this whole entire story takes place at night. Acts 12 and 6 says, now when King Herod was about to bring him out, meaning he was about to die. He was on his last leg, the last minute. When King Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Bound with two chains, and there were guards before the door guarding the prison. Someone say, thank you, God, for working the night shift. Amen. We see here that we're on the edge of King Herod about to kill Peter. We know King Herod has the ability. He's already killed many. And he's getting to Peter. And Peter is in this prison. And just as King Herod was about to bring him out, I want to feel like the next morning probably when the day shift was clocking in, 6 a.m. was going to be when they brought Peter out. The very last minute before the enemy would have been victorious, something happens. And on this night shift, Peter is sleeping between two soldiers. I pulled this out for just a moment. This is why I almost called it sleeping with the enemy. Because we have you on your, you know Peter knows he's about to die. And he's sleeping between two soldiers. And I scratched my head and I said, I've seen this before. I don't have time to preach it like I want to preach it. But if you, you need to understand that you can have peace in the middle of your prison. You can sleep with chains on. Hallelujah. Peter is asleep. He's locked up and he's tied up and he knows he's about to die and he's sleeping. How can Peter sleep in the midst of turmoil? He learned it from Jesus. Matthew 8, 23 to 24, it says, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. He learned how to sleep in a storm from Jesus. You need to understand that Jesus did not just come so that we can say Jesus. He came to show you that it is possible to sleep in the prison surrounded by the enemy because you have peace in your household. Hallelujah. In the midst of the storm, Jesus is fast asleep. 
The disciples are in a great storm and the leader is sleeping. Find rest today in your storm, in your prison. Find rest because God works the night shift. Peter has finally learned and he's do you, you know, Peter had a learning problem. I, I'm a teacher. I can, I, I can do that. I, I said, Peter got a learning problem. He don't like to learn at the pace of everybody else. And that's fine. We can have patience with that, Peter. Peter, you need to learn to sleep in the storm. Peter, you need to do what Jesus is telling you to do. And we see here that he finally gets it. Jesus is gone. He's already made it to the throne. And he's back in heaven. And Peter's doing the gospel. And he finally learns to sleep in the storm. Because he saw it done before. He's resting. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come on to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. So let's look what happens on the night shift. God works on the night shift. You see, we give credit for the day shift. The mountains that we saw move in our life. The, the healing that we saw happen, the bills that we saw were paid, the checks that did come in the mail, the deliverance that did take place from drugs and alcohol, the things you're able to see that happened on the day shift, but you missed the night shift. God that works on the day shift was still working on the night shift. So what is it about this night shift? It's the times that you did not see God moving. It's the situations when you could not see the light. You could not see the outcome that you were hoping for. What about the time that you could not see his hand? You came to church and you could not feel a shout come on. The nights that you worried yourself sick about circumstances in your life. The nights you prayed yourself to sleep. What about that? The nights you couldn't sleep. The moments in your life when you couldn't see him moving. Now, I know we talk about the night shift. And oftentimes, for good reason, we give the enemy credit for dominion over the night. Darkness and night, and we just automatically associate that, correct? We see scary movies in the boogeyman. They come out at night. There's a lot of people who are scared of the dark. Amen. But it is at the night shift that we find God doing some of his greatest work throughout the Bible. I will remind you that Jesus was born at night. Luke 2, 8 through 11. And in the same region where the shepherds were out in the field watching their flocks by. Thank you. An angel of the Lord, oh God, we, we got another angel coming out at night. You mean to tell me the angels move at night? Yes, they do. They don't sleep nor slumber either. They are moving always when God tells them to move. And God works the night shift. He sends an angel of the Lord to appear to the shepherds out on the hillside. They were also working the night shift. And they said, don't be afraid. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And y'all know the story. It's on the night shift. We see that the wise men traveled at 
they had to use the star as their guide. Now, I believe this star you could see during the day. I do believe that. And I believe they did the best they could to travel as much as they could during the day. But I also believe they had common sense. And if you are not in the arid region of this area, you wouldn't know that the air condition comes on at nighttime over there. So they probably traveled at night where their camels would have air condition. Amen? They could also see the star a little bit better at night. Then I jump over to another story, and I'm going to bounce around a little bit on the night shift. I see Paul and Silas. We know this story, Paul and Silas. I like Paul, too. Paul and Silas, they find themselves locked up in a Roman jail. You see, the enemy wants you locked up. They lock Paul and Silas up, and they lock them up because they had commanded an evil spirit to come out of a young girl. They locked them up for that. They were doing the work of the gospel and they locked them up for it. And Paul and Silas find themselves sitting in the dark, cold jail of prison. And I promise you they didn't just start praying at night. I feel as though they prayed all day and night. And the Bible says at midnight... In Acts 16, 25 to 26, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening. And suddenly there was a great earthquake and the foundations were shaken of that prison. And immediately all the doors were opened. I'm coming back to that. Doors will open. Amen. And all of the bondages that had them bound were unfastened, the Bible says. And it took place on the night shift. We see Jesus walked on the water at night, Matthew 14, 25, 24 to 25. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten up by the waves, for the wind was against them. When something comes, notice there's a shift always happening. When something comes against them and the deliverance takes place at night. It says in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. Walking on the water. If I jump back to my favorite book, I see that God decided to clock in on the night shift. Genesis 1, 1 through 3, I do believe it was night before light was created. Genesis 1, 1 to 3, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was there. God clocked in on the night shift. He said, let there be light and there was light. You see, God created when nobody could see anything. There wasn't any light. You couldn't have seen nothing. Do you know what darkness is? The absence of light. Darkness is not really a thing. It's just simply the absence of light. That's why it says there was void. It was really nothing. It was desolate, but it was dark. God likes to present vision when there doesn't seem to be any sight. When you can't see, he likes to move. It was dark and there was nothing and he created first in the dark and then said, turn the light on. 
Whenever the earth was without form and void and darkness was all around, on the night shift, the Holy Spirit's moving on the water. And God looks and says, now's a good time to create. When they can't see nothing, when there's no possible way that something could come out of nothing, I think I'll move now. Boom, there is creation. And then I spoke and there was light. God is working in your life right now and is about to speak light into your night shift. Eve was created at night. You say, well, how do you know that? God had already turned the lights on. He had already created light. Well, day shift did not diminish night shift. When God created, he gave them both an area to function. We have night and we have day. We have sun and we have moon. And both of them are necessary in our life cycle. When I read this text, even if the sun was out, it became night shift for Adam. The Bible says that he caused him to go to sleep, which means the lights went out for a moment. And he created again and then turned the lights back on. If you want to read it, it's in Genesis 2, 21 to 23. Let's look at blind Bartimaeus. In Mark 10, 46 to 52. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting on the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many people rebuked him and told him to be quiet. And he got louder. I like blind Bartimaeus. They said, hush. And he said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And we see that Jesus moved in his blindness. And you say, well, it was definitely daytime in this story because they were moving during the day from one place to the next. You are correct. It was daytime for everybody except blind Bartimaeus. I need to talk to some people this morning that feels like everybody else is on day shift, but I'm over here stuck on night shift. The sun is shining for everybody else, but I'm over here blind and can't see. I want to talk to some people where you feel like their bills were paid, but my lights were shut off. I need to talk to some people that's sitting in darkness while everybody else functions in the light. Jesus stopped and moved in his darkness. You see in Mark 6 and 48, we see again that Jesus stopped because they called out. You can stop the father in his tracks if you'll just call out to him. 
And when they tell you to be quiet, get louder. When they tell you to hush, get louder and call out to the master and say, have mercy on me. Because we see here that Jesus stopped. There was a great crowd. He had many disciples with him. And I believe it was loud. And so blind Bartimaeus said, not today. I'm going to scream till I cannot get it out anymore. And I need him to move on my night shift. Because it's been night for me for quite some time. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me and Jesus stopped and clocked in to the night shift. In Mark 6 and 48, we see that he saw they were making headway painfully. For the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. This is the same walking on the water story. He meant to pass them by is what Mark said. One translation said he would have passed him by had they not. Have you ever felt like you needed Jesus to stop and tend to your night shift? Abraham enters into covenant with God at night. We see God moving for the children of Israel, cloud by day, fire by night. God is used to working the night shift. So you may feel like you've been walking in darkness for quite some time. But I want to serve notice that God works whenever everything else looks impossible. So when we go back to our story and we see Acts 12 verses 6 through 9. Peter is asleep and he's bound by chains and he's in between two soldiers. And this, I like this part. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in his you cannot have light if you do not have darkness for it is darkness that gives you the calculation to measure light that's why God clocked in first to the night shift so you could see just how powerful he was he shines this light into this cell he struck Peter on the side knocked him clean in the head said get up quickly and the chains fell off of his hands and the angel said to him dress yourself and put your sandals on I'm gonna come back to that in a minute and he did so and the angel said to him wrap your cloak around you and follow me and he went out and followed him and he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. We have Peter. He's bound up by chains. He's sleeping peacefully. And an angel knocks him in the head and says, get up quickly. Move now. Don't think about it. Just move. There's obedience that has to take place if you want chains to fall off. You see, Pastor preached not long ago that when you want a seed to grow 
and when it's planted, you have to put it in the ground so that it can begin working on the night shift. What does the seeds go to simply get to the day shift? Amen. But you got to go through the night shift before you can get to the day shift. When God steps on the scene in your life, you need to be ready to move. You can't sit there anymore, Peter. The angel of the Lord has stood before you, knocked you in the head, told you to get up and said, get dressed and move quickly. The chains fell off that were bound to him. I came to let somebody know that chains are going to fall off. Amen. Chains can fall off today. Amen. I want to speak to some chains and tell you to get up quickly and let them get off of you and stay there in the prison because you got to go somewhere. You've got to be ready to move when God steps into your prison. You can't stay there because you were asleep and it was good and restful and you weren't in any turmoil in that moment. You've got to move when the angel says move. The chains are coming off. He tells him to get dressed and put his sandals on. Sometimes deliverance requires something of you. He didn't get him dressed. He didn't put his shoes on for him. We have got to get to the place that we understand in our life. God is God, not our babysitter. He does not change diapers and he does not do the things that people should do for us. He says, move and you move. You see, you can't expect God to come in and just simply snatch you out without some sort of obedience and effort on your part. You see, Peter knew what he was getting himself into when he was preaching anyways. He already knew Stephen had died. He knew James had died, and he's still preaching. So according to the law, he ends himself up in prison, amen? But he still got peace. And in his restful mind, he knew that God was going to move. And he tells him, get up. And here's the catch. He did not know that what was happening to him was actually real. You better get ready. Because when God moves in your life, you're not going to know that it's actually real. You're going to be standing there wondering, God... Did you really do this? God, I'm not so sure. I was just asleep and then all of a sudden you've got me walking out of my prison that I thought I was going to die in. And now you are moving and I'm standing in the streets because when God moves, it will blow your mind. It's out of nowhere. God likes to work in us suddenly. So let's see what happens. In Acts 12, 10 to 11, it says, when they had passed the first and the second guard, they on the move, walking right through the enemy. They came to the iron gate leading to the city, and it opened for them on its own accord. And they went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, underline it, highlight it, and circle it. It's there again. When he came to, he said, now I am sure 
that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people who were expecting. Notice that they walked right through what was meant to guard them. When God comes in, whatever has you bound has to be loosed and you will walk right through that thing that's standing in your way. They go walking right through what was meant to hold them back. The enemy was their own guard, but God was walking him right through that thing that existed that was going to keep him bound. He walked right through it and it was all taking place on the night shift. The soldiers were working the night shift and God was also working the night shift. Peter's walking right through things because someone is working on the night shift. The gate opened for them. Nobody had to push it open. Nobody had to unlock it. Nobody had to knock it down or cut it open. You don't have to push doors down in your life. You can just simply let God walk you up to it and it will open on its own. On its own accord it opened. And before they knew it, he's standing in freedom. And as soon as the angel left him, he's standing there, probably like many of you would be. Uh, where did you go? You brought me here, but now what do I do? Have you ever been in the place of now what do I do? What do I do now? Don't expect everything to be done for you. When deliverance takes place, what you do with your deliverance is up to you. Peter could have went back over to the prison and said, I don't know what just happened. But I just come out from in there. And before you knock it, many of us have done it. You will go right back into the thing that you laid down at the altar. The angel did his assignment, and now it's up to Peter. Peter's standing there, and all of a sudden, he comes to himself. Sidebar, you can't come to yourself until you know yourself. You can't know yourself until you know the one that created you. So if you're having trouble coming to yourself, figure out the one that created you first. Then you'll come to yourself. See, Jesus and Peter had a solid relationship. Peter come to himself. And if you remember in the word of God, there's something powerful that takes place when you come to yourself. If you remember, I preached on the prodigal son, and it was when he came to himself that he decided to leave that which was holding him back. He stepped out of the hog pen and went back to the father. Peter comes to himself. When we realize what really happened, when you open your mind and see the acres of diamonds in your life, when you can open your eyes and see that God has moved all around you and you're standing in the middle of the street in freedom, you come to yourself and you know what to do when you have a relationship with the Father. He's standing there and he comes to himself. The angel has rescued him from what the people were expecting. Sometimes we need to be delivered from what others are expecting to happen to us. You see, the Jews were expecting Peter to die the next day. Sometimes other people were expecting you to fail. 
Your deliverance doesn't always have to be from chains and prison and those things. It can be simply from the idea that someone else has about you. You can get delivered from that as well. He was delivered from expectations on his life by somebody else. He was never supposed to make it out. They were anticipating him to die. He finds himself in the street. And then we're introduced to my favorite part. God was working the night shift. The angels were working the night shift. The guards were working the night shift. And there's somebody else that was working the night shift. So I, I want you to take this message and grab hold of what speaks to you. My, my, my prayer today is that this message isn't just a one-fold or a two-fold, but a three-fold. That it will get something somewhere in your life that you're able to grab onto it and hold it. You say, well, I don't deal with the prison. And I don't deal with the deliverance. Maybe not so much. So maybe this part is for you. Acts 12, verse 12 to 17. When he realized this, when he came to himself, when he realized what God had done, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, comma, where many were gathered together praying it's the middle of the night you see God is not the only one who works the night shift you got some people who realize that God works the night shift and so they start working the night shift they were gathered together it's the middle of the night and they're praying and Peter knocked on the door of the gateway, and a servant named Rhoda came and answered the door. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not even open the gate and ran back and reported to everyone that Peter had made it out of prison. She got so excited, she left the answer standing in the street. You need to testify before your answer gets in the house. You need to shout before the walls fall, amen? You need to give God glory before the answer shows up in the house. It's standing at the door knocking, but you just heard a glimpse and started giving victory to the one who drew him out of the prison. And in her joy, she ran to tell everybody else and left Peter standing at the door. Don't miss this. You see, Rhoda is the servant girl in the story. And she had enough faith. She knew God had answered her prayer before she laid eyes on it. She ran back to tell them and had not even opened the door. She's the servant girl. Don't discount the least of these. Because what we find is in the story, she runs back to tell the church folks. And the church folks who have been working the night shift, they doubt her. They say, it's Peter's ghost. And she said, no. 
it's not. They tell her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it is so. She hasn't seen Peter yet. She only heard him at the door. And she kept insisting. The answer is at the door. Do not discount what I'm telling you. I may be the least of these. I may be the only servant in this house. But the answer is at the door. And Peter continued knocking. So rather you're in the house or you're standing at the door, you have a role in this story. You keep knocking and you keep insisting. And when they opened it, they saw it and they were amazed. What God does on the night shift will blow your mind. It will wreck your entire understanding of him if you will let it. You cannot be expecting God to move only during the day or only on your circumstances or only when you feel like it should happen. If we remember back in Acts 12 in verse 5 at the beginning... Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made to God by the church. I am asking our church to clock in to the night shift. Earnest prayer is what moved the hand of God in the middle of the night. It is the earnest prayer of the people that moved the hand of God for the answer to show up when they least expected it. I want to encourage you that maybe it's time to clock into the night shift. You pray during the day and that's good, you should, but maybe try praying at night as well. The Father is looking for those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. I like to say day and night. All the time. To pray with fervency. We see here that it's the prayers of this church that move the hand of God on the night shift. It's the crying out from the boat that stopped Him on the night shift. It's the crying out from blind Bartimaeus that said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on my situation. And while it was day for everybody else, it was night for him. And Jesus stopped in his tracks and he clocked in to the night shift because blind Bartimaeus was praying on the night shift. So I came to encourage you this morning. Keep praying. Keep knocking. Keep sleeping. Keep resting. Do not be moved by the enemy because the Father that you serve, He works the night shift. And He is listening all the time. 
and he moves when you least expect it. The Bible says the midnight cry. It is at the midnight that we see the bridegroom. There's a reason for that. If you'll stand with me this morning, you need to understand that the answer is knocking because the people are praying. We started studying prayer on Wednesday night, and there's a reason I have waited to, to preach this for the right time. I've, I've had it for a while, but I feel as though it's now that we end this year with a fervency and an understanding in our relationship with God that we, are need, we need to be a church that prays on the night shift. The Bible says that when they answered the door, they were amazed. Even though you've been praying for it, it's still going to blow your mind. Even though you've been expecting God to do it, it's still going to blow your mind. Because it's going to be when you least expect it. My encouragement for you is that the enemy does not have you surrounded in any place that God cannot deliver you from. You are not in any, I don't care how far the child is away from God. I don't care how deep in depression you are. I don't care what demons you face. I don't care what prison has you bound. I don't care what gates are in your way and how many guards you have to surround you. I don't care what you've walked through. I don't care what the enemy has put in your path to keep you from your purpose. I don't care about any of that because I know my father works the night shift. And he is able to move and deliver whatever your situation is. Prayer still works. Prayer still moves the hand of God. It's prayer that rejuvenates and revives us. It is prayer that is the heartbeat of the church. It is prayer that's going to unlock prison gates and move the enemy out of the way and bypass that which has you bound. It is prayer that we have got to get back in our lives. We cannot be a church that only works during the day. We have to join God and work the night shift as well and pray with fervency nonstop. Don't give up praying. Don't sit down. Do not let the enemy steal your time. Truly pray without ceasing. I declare over this house that this is a church of prayer. This is the house of prayer as was intended in the Bible and the Word of God, that we are to be a house of prayer. You as individuals, as the temple, should be houses of prayer, and this church should be a house of prayer. I don't ever want us to go back to saying, I'll pray about that. Let me pray for you. And not do it fervency work the night shift don't be afraid to wake up in the middle of the night and hit your knees do not ever think that God is not listening no matter what time of day it is and when the answer comes knocking you better come tell the rest of us in your joy you come tell the rest of us 
Father, I thank you for working the night shift. God, I thank you that whenever it looks like life all around us is not able to be understood, when it looks like there is no way out, you deliver on the night shift. I declare over this body and over this house, Father, that we become a church of prayer, that we become a church that is not afraid to join you on the night shift and know that you move when your people call out. God, I ask that you quicken us and open up our minds and our hearts that we understand more of you and less of us. When we come to the end of ourselves, when we come to the revelation that you move and that you work and that you are always for us and never against us, let us have that revelation in our life. Let your spirit move in this house, God. Let your grace flow in this place, God. Let your Holy Spirit move in each one of the lives, God. When they're sitting there and they don't know where to go and they don't know what to do, I ask that you send the angels to quicken them and to have them moved into deliverance and freedom. And that with that deliverance, God, we move into a place of absolute joy. I thank you for all that you do in your Holy Spirit. I thank you for the opportunity to worship in this place, God. Thank you, Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Just take a moment and worship Him.